recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed Episode 128 is recorded live August 30th, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson, and here's a few of the articles we're going to be covering this week. We have a scuba ban, uh, we have divers clean up a lake, and we have a doomsday ship that could blow a lot of people sky high. But before we get into the news, we're going to welcome our co-host this week. We have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? Doing very well. Glad to be back here. Looking forward to uh, having a real good evening. Excellent. Uh, you you feeling any better? You getting uh, close to dive shape? No, it doesn't look good. <laughs> oh no. Uh, all I gotta say is, anybody out there when you're diving, putting your gear on or off, and you twist your back, don't continue the dive for an hour and then get out because you're gonna regret it. <laughs> yeah. I'm regretting it big time. Yeah, that that's uh, probably some excellent advice. But I'm kind of like you. It's like, you know, once once you're there, you want to dive. You want to get the dive in. Yeah. Well, I didn't feel bad diving, but when I got out, oh, God, I realized I had really messed up on that one. Well, then also we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm ready. Amazing. So uh, how's your your work week been going? My work week is over. Tomorrow's a holiday for us, so I'm officially on vacation. Ooh. So Woo-hoo. You're, you're getting a four-day four weekend. Four-day weekend, yeah. Oh. Now, I, I saw you put a note out that you were trying to get out into the uh, – the big lake, you get any takers? Uh, not for tomorrow, but the weekend's going to be nice and full. Oh, that'll, that'll be good to talk about later in the show. But uh, since we're talking about Friday, I noticed that they were calling for some high waves. I don't know, did you check out the... Uh, that's what I'm afraid of. I've heard the, the small craft advisory, actually gale warnings out there for tomorrow. They started broadcasting it last night. Yeah. That they were expecting gale warnings tomorrow and tomorrow night. And they've also got, that'll be interesting because they've, they're scheduled to have the first leg of the tri-state regatta tomorrow. And that mm-hmm. leaves Chicago about 7 o'clock tomorrow night and comes across the lake to St. Joseph, Michigan uh, all night long. So if it's gale force winds with 8 to 10 foot seas and occasionally a wave up to 18 feet is what the Coast Guard is saying, that could make for a very interesting night of sailing. Yeah, that could be a little challenge for the, the sailors. Now, you said it's uh, the tri-state. What's the third state in that race? Well, it starts in Chicago. It comes across 60 miles across the lake from Chicago to St. Joseph on Friday night. The boats tie up in St. Joseph and enjoy a day of rest and then a big party at the St. Joe River Yacht Club Saturday night. Sunday morning, they leave St. Joseph, Michigan, and sail about 40 miles down to Michigan City, Indiana, where they have a party at Michigan City Yacht Club Sunday night. And then Monday, they do about a 20 to 30-mile race between Michigan City back to Chicago. So three states over the weekend, hence the tri-state regatta. Nice. So how do you remember last year, they had, what, one totality on that, didn't they? Did they not? No, that was in the Mac race. That was not the tri-state. The Chicago Same Mackinac distance, race. Sorry, right? uh, No, Chicago Mackinac race is one race, uh, 333 miles from Chicago, uh, just off Navy Pier in Chicago, all the way up to Mackinac Island. They finish um, on the west end of Mackinac Island. That's the world's longest freshwater race. It's been running for about 108, 109 years, something like that. I was going to ask you how long and it had been going on. For the first time, yep, they've been running that for about 109 years. And for the first time last year was the first time in the running of the race they've ever had a fatality. Wow. Boats have been lost and damaged. They've had some bad bad weather on the races, but that's the first time they've ever had a fatality uh, directly related to the race. So it's a, a real shame, but fortunately the race continues to go on and uh, – uh, seconded only by the Port Huron to Mackinac, which uh, Chicago to Mackinac is Lake Michigan, Port Huron to Mackinac is Lake Erie. 
I'm sorry, Lake Huron. Lake Huron. I was, Lake Erie, Lake Huron. Uh, I was going to say, if that's Lake Erie, that would be a little uh, sidetracked there. Yeah. No. So and it's interesting the way they run those. They run them back to back. One year, Chicago's first, and then they go over to Port Huron and race back. And the following year, Port Huron's first, and they come down to Chicago and then race back. Hmm. I guess it's a way of uh, rotating it around. Yep. Okay. Well, I think what we'll do is we'll jump right on into the news, and we'll get that going. This first article, boy, this one had me sizzling. When I came across it, as always, we're going to give a little advanced copy into the chat room. And I've got about nine links. I'm not going to paste them all in unless it, it comes in. But uh, those on the show notes list got it early. Boy, I, I say the Internet's getting slower every week. Okay, scuba band aimed at keeping Crater Lake pristine. Concerns about aquatic invasive species have popped up in the in lakes across the country. Crater Lake National Park officials have temporarily closed the lake's pristine waters to scuba diving and to the use of other water gear. And what I'm going to do now is actually jump over to the let's see if I can get the press release because I, I kept finding articles and each one had a little bit different slant on it but I wanted to get it straight from the horse's mouth. And this is something that it looks like it originally popped up uh, on the 13th of uh, August. They had somebody who swam across, and that was exactly the same day where they had uh, said that there, were, there was going to be no scuba diving allowed in the lake. And I think people thought it was a reaction to the, the uh, swimmers swimming across the lake, and they've said, no, it's just to protect the lake. So this is out of Crater Lake, Oregon. This is the actual... Uh, posted on their website, uh, National Park Service, uh, to prevent introduction of aquatic invasive species into pristine waters of Crater Lake. Crater Lake National Park has issued an immediate but temporary closure prohibiting scuba diving and all other uses of water gear in the lake. The closure will remain into effect until protocols are established to minimize the risk of contamination from invasives. It is anticipated these protocols will be in place before the beginning of the 2013 season and will require divers to take precautionary members, members <laughs> measures before entering the lake. We have seen devastation to the ecosystem and economies caused by inadvertent introduction of invasive species from Lake Mead to Lake Erie, said the park superintendent Craig Ackerman. We want to prevent it from happening at Crater Lake rather than deal with the aftermath. The increasing popularity of the lake for scuba diving also increased the opportunity for divers and their gear to carry microscopic hitchhikers into the water. This may be small, but damaged and can be caused by aquatic invasives is enough and oftentimes irreversible. Crater Lake is rolled renowned for crystal clear water and purity is considered by some scientists to be the most pristine, naturally occurring large body of water on the planet. Minor changes in hydraulic conditions in the lake could permanently affect both purity and clarity. Aquatic invasive species like quagga mussels, spiny water flea, and viral uh, hemographic uh, viruses cause severe and permanent damage to the habitat uh, they invade by reducing the abundance of natural species, altering ecosystem processes. The rank, they rank among the most severe threats to the biological diversity and are among the leading causes of extinction. <clears throat> Uh, aquatic invaders can range from microscopic bacterial and viral pathogens to plants and animals. In their native environments, these species are often controlled by interactions with predators, parasites, pathogens. Native environments, these species are often controlled, oh, I put uh, pathogens or competitors. However, when introduced to new environments like Crater Lake, the same natural checks are often absent, giving invasives an advantage other natural species and making them very expensive and difficult, if not impossible, to control. Consequently, focusing on prevent, preventing introduction of harmful invasive species is key to reducing the risk. And they give some links in the article. I want to know why they put the National Park Service put rainbow trout, salmon, and crayfish in there. Aren't they invasive species, or were they, you know, they were uh, artificially introduced into the lake? Yeah, they they were. Uh, another article I found on them they talked about in the the 50s and 60s they introduced them, and I think that was just the model that was in the 50s is where they wanted uh, sports fishing for an activity. If you know if it wasn't good for fishing, then it really didn't have a whole lot of value. And you've seen that with some of the species that were introduced, uh, or even some uh, genetically altered fish uh, crossbred to be able to uh, introduce for sports fishing. So yeah, that'd, that'd be one thing, but doesn't, don't you have to wonder why now? 
So here, this invasive species has been nothing new. The Great Lakes, what year did the zebra mussels come in? You know, was that in the 80s? No, it was in the, uh, I'm trying to look back, mid-90s, 95, 1995, in that area is where you started seeing them. It, it, it actually started over in Lake Erie. So by the time it migrated to our neck of the woods, uh, it was like 95, and then it went crazy. Yeah, so you, you got zebra mussels. We've got the Asian carp, milfoil weed. Uh, none of these invasive species are a surprise. So of all the times to stop it, they choose to stop it now, and they didn't have a plan in place. They, they could have had this plan in place before they went and said to stop. I mean, this is, this is typical government committee stuff, in my mind. It sounds like a really interesting place. I just went ahead and read a little bit on the lake. The lake level is at 6,173 feet. And it said most divers, when they dive it, use the 8,000-foot foot table for it. They say the it's so pristine and the water clarity, a typical day is 140 foot straight down for visibility. Uh, they gave the uh, access, let me see, on the temperature. The temperature is quite interesting. It varies from 32 to 65 degrees. Average summer temperature on the surface is 50 to 58. Below 260, the temperature is 38 degrees all the time. And if you look at the other aspect, they're only open basically three months, three and a half months for diving, and you can only dive it from one area. It's called the Cleetwood Trail. And to do that, you have to carry your gear, no wheel vehicles, trout lines, anything like that are allowed, a mile and a half to get to the entry point down 700 feet. They figure your time average for coming back, for example, when you're done, is over 70 minutes per person. So you really want to have to dive that, and you're going to have to be in pretty good shape to haul all your gear down, do your dive, and then come back up. But but my point is, there's a lot of these protocols in place. You sent me one uh, before the show. Yes. Why couldn't they have just said, okay, what is it we're trying to do? We're trying to invent, uh, prevent invasive species. They could have put together a team of two or three people. They could have done this research, brought back a proposal, get it approved, and implement it instead of shutting it down. Yeah, use the best that's available already. Right. You know, and, and just have something where you say, you know what, this is a work in prog- uh, process. So here's the rules for now. But instead, they posted a note three days before they closed it and then said, well, we gave we gave people notice. I, I just, it doesn't appear that this was handled all that well. And the fact that they got to shut it down just baffles me. I mean, because they're, they're talking about that this is going to be temporary. You know, it, it, there, there's, there's got to be something more to it. There's got to be somebody called them up and said, hey, what's your plan? What are you doing about this? And then, yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm just really disappointed in the fact that they're closing down a location where people can dive. I, I agree with we want to prevent the invasive species from from uh, migrating to the lake. Uh, they, they, even one interview I read, they weren't sure if they're going to be able to prevent it. So if they're able to prevent it and they let nobody dive there, What's the point of preventing something that nobody can see, uh, protecting something that nobody can see? Well, I think what gets you, like you said, there, the protocol is out there. It's not a new item. Why all of a sudden? Yeah, yeah. I just I was I just, looking through what you would have to do for your own dive gear. How do you clean it? And they're talking about cleaning and disinfecting solutions that would be available to use on your dive gear would be vinegar, 100% concentration for 20 minutes, bleach, one ounce, a quarter, a half ounce per gallon of water, 10 minute immersion. Power wash with hot water greater than 104 degrees for 20 minutes. Steam scalding hot wash 140 degrees, three minutes. Or you can freeze it at 32 degrees for 24 hours. Do a salt bath for 24 hours. And I ain't going to use ethanol on my wetsuit. 50% for 10 minutes and Lysol for 10 minutes. And that's the chemical you'd use to decon both your boat and or your dive equipment. Now, what do you think that... Because what they're talking about is there's going to be a few different things they're going to take advantage of. Uh, one of the things they were talking about was creating a registration system. You know, of course, they said, oh, we're not going to charge anything, but I'll believe that when I see it. Nobody goes to this amount of effort and they don't end up charging. As soon as you got to do paperwork and make people register, they're going to want to try and get that back. And I'm sure somebody's going to whine. It's going to cut into the budget. So, yeah, they'll be charging for registration. They also talked about uh, educating people on the high-altitude diving which I'm thinking if you're spending that amount of effort to go up there, uh, you, you probably, at least you'd hope so, that they've got the proper training, that they've done some research to know what they're getting into. I was, yeah, for sure on that. Let's see, who did we just lose? 
be Mac. I'm still here. No, you didn't lose me. Oh, huh. no, Mac's on an image or something. Oh. I tried to do another little look upon. <laughs> okay, that's what it was. Uh, it was just... about for divers, I thought what they had to do. I was just a blurb, contact blurb. Yeah, because the very thing you were reading, if how are they going to enforce that? So they, they tell everybody that, here, you got to follow one of these precautions. Are you going to have to sign up and say, this is the one I did? Well, I'm looking at the item here, and it says, uh, uh, after disinfecting, allow gear to dry completely before diving at new site. I suppose at that point, if you've used vinegar or bleach, your equipment's going to smell like it. They would inspect and see if it's totally dry before you got into the water. My thought, and I hate to even suggest this, but to me, the only way you're going to know that you're going to prevent it and still allow diving is to have gear there to rent, you know, that never leaves Actually, the site. that's right. Because you're going to have so much stuff you're going to have to check. Uh, you know, the inside of somebody's BC. Regulator. Yeah, well, yeah, the regulator. Uh, there's just, yeah. Uh, so, you know, who, who knows? It, it, this will be something to watch. Well, I, part of this information I was giving you on the diving and the control of uh, the wetsuits and stuff, mm-hmm. that's already written up. It's from the United States Department of the Interior for Isle Royal National Park. They already have these rules in effect. These people could have just taken this pamphlet, put their name on it, bingo. Well, then it's also, I, and part of the research I was doing for this story, is there's already uh, not necessarily even protocols, but there's a mandate. And the mandate was from three years ago. It went both to the eastern portion of the U.S. and the western portion of the U.S. So if they've had a national mandate that they needed to have considerations like this in place, you know they're the ones putting out pub, uh, press releases saying don't spread these invasive species, then why is it Crater Lake just now getting on to looking at it? Do you mean that mandate was for divers or just zebra mussels? It, w- it was for all invasive species. It was uh, it's one of those links. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, the... Ants Task Force. It was a PDF. Let me pull it up. Um, this one was for. Uh, this is the. This is just specifically for quagga zebra mussels action plans for yet Western U.S. waters. The final was February 2010 by the Western Regional Panel of Aquatic Nuisance Species. I want to see what they're going to say after they prove the Asian carp are in Lake Michigan. Up too late now. That was pure economics right there. The reason why we didn't deal with that. Oh yeah. Because nobody. Absolutely. Nobody had the guts to deal with the shipping and uh, in, out of, in and around Chicago. They needed to close that down. In fact, I think they should have just concreted across it in several spots and been done. Yeah. But, nope, they just didn't have the money or something. Yes. Well, it'll be interesting down the road. Let's see. Jim, we lost Jim. So if you're in a chat room and we drop, we're going to be right back. Uh, here, let me let me paste this in the chat room. So there's really no reason why they took so long. I guess better late than never, but we'll we'll have to see. Just just disappointed. I it just rubbed me the wrong way every time I read it. I'm there's so many things. You are unmuted. And we're back. Sounds good to me. Yeah, the chat room saying Darren was so mad about this he hung up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were getting your little soapbox up there, and I do mine on uh, archaeology aspects and. This just tweaked you wrong today. Yeah, and and the thing is, I, I I just I kept trying to look at another way, and I just couldn't look at a way it wasn't getting me mad. It just it's like somebody was asleep at the wheel, and then all of a sudden thought that they had to do something that feels very reactionary. And I know we're not getting the whole story. And the press release, when you look at the date of the press release that they put out, that was you know like two or three weeks after they shut it down for diving. So that's telling me right there that they did not anticipate the problems that they had. And then there was another article that that uh, it had just been listed in a major travel magazine as one of the best places in the U.S. to dive. And I guess it's, I think it's a it's a September issue and of travel and leisure. Like I said, you're going to, have to be in good shape to go walking all that way with your gear. Yeah. Well, with the, with the popularity of bucket lists. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Does it make me want to dive it more or less? I don't. I don't know how soon or how easy it would be for me to get to Oregon. Uh, Jim, let me know when you're back, and we'll add you to. You're not. You're showing up still as being off on my list. Okay, and that was just one article. And, and I had so much research I did. I almost, if I w- wasn't for work, I was going to call them and see if I get somebody to come on the show. I was reminding myself I'd have to be polite. They, they, they put their phone numbers. I got their phone numbers, so we could do it. Uh, next one up is San Diego Diver Uncovers the Missing Aegean. 
longtime San Diego boating and diving veterans, uh, Russell Moore and Ed Harris, have recently made a remarkable breakthrough in a boating accident left four dead with a 37-foot sailing yacht disappeared in the dark night during the annual Newport to uh, Incendia Regatta in April. I don't know if you remember when this one happened, Mac. I was kind of surprised. I think I remember the Aegean when it was in there and the people who got killed on it. It just seemed awful odd, the accident. You know, and here, just before the we got into the show, we were talking about the, the first ever fatality on the uh, Mackinac race. Yeah. So, I mean, the, with all sports, there is a certain amount of risk involved. Yeah, there is no such a thing as sure thing. The only thing I didn't understand is that I don't believe I saw any reference to how deep it was. Yeah, and I looked for that, and I'm going to guess because it's an island that it could get deep very rapidly. Yeah. So what they're hoping you know, to look, do... Go ahead. Yeah, you know, looking at the gear they use, it should be interesting. Well, they have that one photo. Rugged-looking piece of... Yeah, the one photo. Rugged rock, isn't it? I'm sorry, a rock? Well, that's what the island looks like if you're looking at the pictorials of it. Yeah, I'm going through them. It's and I'm, I'm, big I'm seeing the one where they're using a uh, a rib, a rigid hull inflatable boat. And that one looks a little bit bigger than uh, the one we dive on. Yeah, that motor is huge. And then it's, you can see kind of the, I don't know if you call them a roll bar or cage on a boat. Yep, right but, above it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess this is probably about twice the length of Bob's, so probably in the 30-foot range. If you look at the picture, though, of the diver on the boat with the clarity of the water, and it doesn't look like it's got to be really, really deep, but it never does say. Yeah, and let me see if we can read a few quotes out of this. Uh, we took all the topside information that the Coast Guard and other people had speculated on. We applied that to the underwater search. We didn't search the globe. We had a pretty good indicator that this where this thing was. Okay, 6,000-pound rib. That's a pretty heavy rib if it's 6,000 pounds. He said three-foot swells were jolting the rib. Ah, three-foot swells, that's normal. Um, well, they were saying in that area, the ocean swells there can reach 14 feet. Yeah, three is normal, 14 I'd stay away from. A second uh, dive was, was the first day of the weather, weather window that we had. It wasn't that it took us three months to go back down there. It's the first time the ocean got still enough to allow us access to this. It takes very little swell to turn this place into a washing machine. The area is known as Pucky Point. Uh, it looks like they ran into six-foot swells. So a little, so there should be a little bit more information coming. I'd, I'd love to see video of this. I wonder if they're going to put anything out. I don't know. It just amazes me. I can't find anything that references the depth. Yeah, I mean, I would guess it would have to be, I don't know, anything to be speculating. I mean, they're what they're showing of in the photos, just that one. And, you, and the thing with that photo is you don't even know if that's a, uh, I mean, it doesn't look super tech. In fact, it almost looks like he's wearing a wetsuit. And it's fairly light. I don't know. Maybe we could do a, a, a betting pool. I'd, I'd put down 90 feet based on the photo. Well, it was a very pretty boat. I, I kicked up another picture of the boat. And the sail was pretty high. Yeah, well, those boats in those races aren't your garden variety boats that I used to sail. The next story that we have coming up is on underwater robotics. Uh, robots with vision will be used to piece together damaged coral. Uh, deep waters west of Scotland are characterized by currents of large reforming corals that provide homes to thousands of animals. But Scottish coral are threatened by adverse impacts of bottom fishing that damages and kills the area of the reef. At present, the only solution to the problem is to employ scuba divers to reassemble the coral fragments on the reef framework. However, this methodology is only limited access because the divers cannot spend long times underwater. Uh, also, some of the locations where the corals are at is over 200 meters in depth. Uh, researchers at the Herit Watt University Edinburgh, Scotland, are embarking on a project that will see the teams of scuba divers replaced by a swarm of intelligent robots. The Coral Bots Project is a collaborative effort um, by about a dozen different schools. You can read the article if you want to find out. The idea is that small anonymous autonomous robots would seek out coral fragments and reconnect them to the reef. That sounds pretty ambitious to me. I mean, just to get robots down there, but then to have them on their own attach coral. I just sent you uh, from the BBC UK technology a picture of what those uh, little bots look like. Ooh. Let's see what these guys go for. 
either robotics has advanced a lot since I did a lot of looking at it, or there's a lot of pipe dreams out there. Let's see. Well, look at all the articles we've been talking about of the automatic bots that would that already are in use to track the bottom and to map it. Kind of looks like a uh, it's very similar to the open ROV. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a resemblance. A little resemblance. Uh, either that or it looks like a character from a movie. It'd be interesting what their cost and maintenance is for those bots. I'd be very curious on that. But it is got to be a lot safer than using divers down at any depth like that. Well, one of the advantages would be uh, maybe that these can go in rougher weather. I mean, they're down below as long as they've got a charge and a spot that they could ride stuff out when they no longer have a charge. You're going to have more days where it could work. Yeah, because if you had a large enough submersible, you could go down, believe, you know, leave the harbor, stay deep, no matter what the weather was, release the bots when you got to the site, you know, <laughs> station, let them swarm out, recover them. Release the bots. That sounds kind of like a James Bond movie to me. You know, I, I, I must be in a conspiracy theory mood today, but I'm just thinking, yeah, okay, yeah, they're saying they're, you know, they're getting funding for this to repair a coral reef, but there's there's something else that they, they could, they're going to be doing with these things. Well, they're already doing things with robots that made them think, ah, I can use a cheaper version for this. Yeah. Well, we've we've got, uh, you know, the drones that are doing this sort of activity in the air. So, you know, I, I wouldn't mind a few of these. They get some of these done. This would be great. Just put, I, I want cameras on them and have them go do some shipwreck hunting. Absolutely. And here we go. Uh, go ahead. No, that's fine. What were you saying, Jim? I was just going to say, mentioning shipwreck hunting, you know, squirrel. Uh, if you had felt up to it, we could have gone out and done some looking tomorrow, but uh, not if we're going to get the storm, and you definitely aren't feeling up to it, are you? Oh, no. <laughs> Anything, if it's that flat floor, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Hey, we can lay flat on the bottom of the boat. If you had a glass window so I could see. <laughs> <laughs> what we almost need to do is get Mac a backboard. You just stand him up and just let him lean back a little bit, and so he can reach the controls of the side scan. Well, actually, no. Here, here we do. We get it. We get a backboard with one of those neck collars on, and then we have like a little arm that would hold the screen. Because all he's got to do is be able to look forward and see. Oh, that's so, true. Yeah, I mean, you just you just mount him right there, and you could lay him right flat in the boat and just have that screen in front of him. We need Either somebody. That to... I can drag you in the bubble boat again, Mac. Ooh. Now, see, that's not too bad. You know, I, I can see that in the shallow. Oh, okay. Well, divers uh, clean up a popular lake near Wendover. Uh, volunteers picked up trash, repaired boardwalk, and improved Utah's Blue Lake. After traveling down a gravel road full of twists and turns, rise and dips, a group of screwdrivers reached the plank path, planked path leading to a small reed-edged pond-sized lake. These divers uh, were there to help uh, clean up and do some maintenance. If we're going to use it, we should keep it nice, said uh, Heather from Syracuse. Divers volunteered their Saturday and July 28th, braving swarms of horseflies to pitch in during Utah's annual cleanup at Blue Lake, load, uh, located in Wendover, Utah. And one thing I thought was interesting, Mac, uh, from the towards the end of the article, is they talk about uh, the walkway permits divers to put on their gear and carry out to the dive site without sinking in the soil or getting it on their wetsuits. Wet the soil's pH level destroys the neoprene, wetsuits, and boots, so it's essential that divers maintain these spots for everyone to enjoy. Have you heard of that? Where is this again? This is in uh, Utah, uh, Blue Lake. They say that the mud, the pH of the mud eats the wetsuits. I have not heard of that. I mean, that's when I started dry, doing that dry suit there, I think. Yeah, I, I, I read that, and I'm like, wow, is this something that happens all over, and I just haven't realized it? Can I blame that of my for my wetsuit wearing out, other than 400 and some dives. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I wouldn't be a bit surprised now that you say that. I mean, yeah. we're down there by the sewage outflow. Lord knows yeah. what they're putting into the river. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all sorts right. of stuff. Sounds like class action suit to me. <laughs> they need to buy us all Vikings. Yeah, that works for me. Oh, I like that. Let me see. I, I, I was, I, go ahead. I was going to say, I just got a note from the... Uh, dive shop there up in Sheboygan uh-huh. and they were just talking about their cleanup lake they had there of the river we dive in yeah. and I was just looking for the repost of it but they got uh, I think a ton and something debris up 
over a thousand pounds of debris, and that doesn't count plastic and glass. Not counting plastic and glass, they got a thousand pounds. Yep. That's what they sent to the recycling center. Gosh. So they were definitely, you know, it was a real good thing. They've been doing that now for three years, and it seems like every year they get more and more stuff out. Well, I, I'm whenever I dive, I'm if I find something that's trash, I'll pack it out, and I don't pack out everything. Uh, just because of the the limits and what I can carry and what my purpose is on the dive, but it's not hard. In fact, I've noticed in our bottle collecting spots, uh, it seems like I'm finding more trash more frequently than in the past. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's a trend or not. I remember when I first started doing river dives, I was struck by uh, how little plastic bags I was seeing because I was just expecting them to be everywhere because those plastic bags blow around. And now it seems like every time I dive, I find five or six of them. So I don't know if I'm just getting better at spotting them or I'm diving in spots where they collect, but uh, this, you know, trash is just terrible. Well, you know, as we're pulling stuff out, some people are putting stuff in a uh, record breaking horseshoe crab uh, sinks off mammoth County coast. If you remember a few weeks back, we, well, we've talked about this article two or three times. It's supposed to be sunk in July and they ended up having to delay it. So it just went in today. Um, the original article I was going to cover was saying it was supposed to go in Thursday, and then I found an update where it says it actually did sink today. So it's now in the bottom as of today, August 30th. It's a 50-foot-long, 113,000-pound Atlantic horseshoe crab. I'm looking at a picture of it from a different New Jersey uh, place. That's yeah. huge, and it, it's neat-looking. If well, I went down there, didn't know it was there, it would scare the hell out of me. Wouldn't it? You know, I wonder how many the heart attacks you're going to have. Well, that's what it took. Would it six weeks and ninety six thousand dollars to complete it? When I originally saw it, they were just doing the tying on the rebar. Right. So, Remember, I saw the picture. Yeah, and and I was thinking, well, you know, because you never know how it's going to be finished off. I don't know if it's going to be abstract or if they're just going to do kind of a symbolic structure. But that is a lot of concrete, one hundred thirteen thousand pounds, and I'll make a prediction now that there's going to be a storm which moves that. <laughs> well, you've got that winging sort of fashion of the body, you know. Yeah, we, we just underestimate Mother Nature and what she's capable of. And even as heavy as this thing is, it's going to do one of two things. It's going to be sucked away or it's going to be driven into the bottom. <laughs> so there'll be just nothing but a little tip of the top standing up. But I would love to dive on this. It'd be a great dive, at least if, as long as you knew about it. So this is part of a project uh, where they're created by the uh, State Division of Fish and Wildlife Artificial Reef, Pro Reef Program, which created a network of 15 artificial reefs along the New Jersey coast. You know, that gets me. There's the, the New Jersey coast is loaded with good shipwrecks, and their state's willing to invest and put additional wrecks out there and dive sites and fishing sites. Uh, we got to get Michigan talking in New Jersey. We certainly do, and that's got to be our off-season activity this year is just leaning on Michigan and saying, here we go. Uh, Jim Kleeman and I were talking about it, and these these rubble wrecks are becoming nothing. Yeah, I love diving them, but they're getting to be to where it's about a one-dive-a-year a thing. Okay, you've been back, you've seen the Havana. Okay, you've seen the Rockway. Okay, you've seen Max Wreck. Those, those are pretty much, unless you've got some other activities you're doing, such as surveying, those are one dive wrecks in a season. And if we're going to keep the local divers interested and then draw people from out, outside the state, uh, which we'll talk about later on, we're going to have some people coming from outside the state to go and dive the wrecks. I, I know they're not going to be disappointed because we've, we've shown them what they're going to dive on, but uh, we need to get some better wrecks or better objects for people to dive on. And we, we got the perfect background for it. You know, well, I actually, I actually attempted to get a ship or started to investigate getting a ship surplus uh, Coast Guard vessel, but uh, was unsuccessful in this prime initial attempt, but did find out, you know, was pointed in the direction of what we've got to do to start getting on the list of surplus government vessels that we could potentially sink out here in the preserve and get ourselves a good wreck for diving. You know, I, I was been watching. There's another show on TV called uh, Was it Great Lake Warriors? Yeah, yeah. tugboat people. And and that one just gets me excited. And what I like about it is all the ports are going into. We have gone out of. You know, we've gone out of Muskegon and Grand Haven and uh, Burns Harbor. So I just love seeing that. But 
they go into parts of those those rivers. You know, we're going right out to the lake. They're going up the river some cases. And did you notice in one of the episodes, they had a graveyard where they were parking an old tug. And I was out of the back of my eye or side side of my eye, I could see there were some other other vessels there that I'm thinking, gosh, those those won't look too bad in the bottom somewhere. <laughs> you know, instead of letting them just sit there and disintegrate in the, the river, uh, those would be nice to have a little bit of work done to them. And if you could get more than one allowed per preserve, that would be another great item. Because yeah, right now you we're, don't we're working on that. Yeah, right now you don't want to go you don't want to go too small because the ideal way to do it would be to, to start off with something 30 foot. Do a 30 foot vessel, a 60 foot vessel, and then maybe do something 150. You know, get the first two knocked out of the way so you learn what it takes to clean them up, what considerations you need to do, the organization, build a team around it to get them uh, placed, and then go for the biggie. But if you've only got one per preserve, then you run the problems. Plus, you, you also have a lot more politics when you're doing one per preserve because then it's like, okay, what, what port does it get? So, you know, where a preserve should be going, okay, we'll do one in this port and then we'll do the next one in this port and you could spread it around and get people traveling back and forth. Uh, yeah, so that, that yeah, we'll, we'll have to take that offline and get some good good discussions going. But this, this crab is amazing, something large like that. I wonder if that's kind of like when you're when you're doing duck hunting and you put decoys out. Are they trying to attract another large crab? <laughs> I don't think I'd want to see it if they did. In that case, I want them to do a giant lobster. Mmm, lobster. Well, this next one, you know, a doomsday ship that could blow a town away. A 3,000-ton time bomb shipwreck in the Thames estuary. This is over at the U.K. That's the yes, uh, Richard Montgomery. And it was loaded with 7,000 tons of bombs, and it sank. It just a ton, I mean, literally tons of ordnance went down with it. I'm it, curious why you suddenly heard about it now, because if you take a look at the pictures of it, you can see the buoys by it and uh, parts of the mast still sticking up. Mm-hmm. I can't believe divers have not been all over that sucker. Well, they've had divers on it, but uh, so it's not unknown. Uh, and when it first went down, they said, hey, no big deal. Just leave it there. Don't do anything about it. So it's been there for, for a long time. What is bringing this out now is they want to build an airport on some of the wetlands and have to fill in some ground. So when you look where it's going to be, it's going to be between two, I don't know, call them dredged land masses. And they're afraid that the plane's landing could det- cause the uh, wreck to detonate. Well, if one exploded would it have a sympathetic detonation and take out all of them i don't know well the, the one of the people uh in the article who's actually uh worked uh as a navy diver said that they could recover it in fact did you see the photo of the diver well yeah i was looking at that it's from the aspect you don't ship those suckers with the fuses in it yeah so from that aspect they should be not inert but it seems like you have to mishandle them pretty good to make them go boom well, especially since they're in the water right now. So you could come up with some sort of, uh, because obviously what they need to do is get the, the ordnance off. You know, we talked about a few weeks ago, the lake there in Battle Creek where they're pulling those ordnance away. And the same thing needs to happen with this vessel. And and the people, this this community have put up with it long enough. You heard uh, there's a story in there where they talk about a fisherman in the fog bumps into something and then he realizes where he's at. He's like, oh, crap. And he says, by the damage you when you look at the the wreck, the parts of it that are come out of water, I'm assuming as the tides come in and out, you can see all the rails have been bent from collisions, which they can only assume are coming from other uh, fishermen and their boats accidentally coming in contact with it. So I guess I guess indirectly they've been testing the theory, is it going to blow up or not? Well, I read the other part of it where they were talking about that back during the war, uh, they used a, a aluminum nitrate added to the TNT. And if that becomes wet, it can react explosively with the iron casings of the bombs. That could be bad. Well, also, I, they if this is TNT, don't some of the chemicals leach out? You know, some of the nitro can settle. Well, and dynamite, I know it does. Yeah, I, I'm by no means an expert on, on military ordnance. But, of course, maybe that's what they're trying to do now so, is because they – they want to get this cleaned up. They got to get everybody excited so that the money comes and then they can dispose of it. 
Well, or that, or they could say it's open season for one week. All divers can take it and take what you want. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And well, then that'd be interesting. Well, the other thing about it was, would it make sense to just throw a whole ton of lift bags on and then just drag this stuff, this vessel out far enough where if it did detonate, that it wouldn't cause a problem, and then maybe you just blow the heck out of it. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, they said at one point. Why all of a sudden they want to do something nearby it to make them some money, so they want now the government to take away the ship so they can do it without the hazard. That's what it looks like. Yeah. 81 crew members were evacuated to nearby South End and uh, to nearby South End. And salvage work began to save the bombs, which were needed in the war effort, rather than the ship itself. So there has been some salvaging that have been done. I was looking at the comment page on, on that article. Some of those are pretty interesting. Oh, gosh. Basically what we're talking about. Should they detonate it or not? Should they try to remove it or not? Well, and the, why now? Yeah. Well, they also talked about a uh, at one point in the past, uh, there's a rumor that a group of high school students were going to detonate it. And uh, before they, they could get the prank going... They got pulled in by the police, which, you know, interrogated them to find out how far and what they're going to do. And they just thought it would be cool to blow it up. Here's one here. It says, to all the bright speakers saying why nothing has been done about it, here's a cautionary tale. Another ship that containing a similar amount of munitions went down off of Folkestone in 1944. In 1967, the council decided to have it and its cargo removed. The result was a big bang, leaving no remains of the ship except for a 20-foot-hole deep crater in the seabed. The explosion registered four on the Richter scale, was recorded up to 5,000 kilometers away. Um, the wreck was under 100 foot of water, unlike the Richard one we're talking about, which is partly above the water at high tides. And there was uh, only minor damage to buildings in the area because of this. So it seems like since the other one was 100 feet down, you had a lot of water to absorb the explosion. Up here, you don't. Yeah, yeah. You don't have as much water. Well, they say at low tide, a lot of the hull is exposed. That seems like it'd also be easier to get some of the munitions off. You'd think so. Now, now they were they they were trying to get the weapons off the one that did blow up. No, they they detonated it. Oh, they did a controlled detonation in the sixties. Yeah, just just look on the calendar, find out when the highest tide of the whole entire year is. Well, they were looking at the other aspect that if it went off, it would create a tsunami. So if the water was down, it would create less of a tsunami, you'd think. Hmm. Interesting. I'm glad that I'm glad it's not parked by my uh, pier. Well, here's what we do. We get an A-bomb, and we drop it right on top of it. And the force of the the atomic bomb would, would counteract the detonation. Uh, I don't think that's going to hold a lot of water there. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. There won't be much of anything left. That's about the plan that the high school students had. <laughs> what was was just to blow the heck out of it. Oh, okay. We have another one on the shipwreck front. UNH researchers aid in the discovery of Antarctic shipwreck. A University of New Hampshire researchers contracted to test sonar systems on a research ship helped discover what is believed to be the wreck of a ship that took Robert Falcon Scott to the Antarctic. Uh, that was discovered July 11th, and uh, Jonathan uh, Bodouin said it was one of the best moments of my life, which we definitely understand that feeling when you discover a new shipwreck. Now, did you see, crap, I don't, I'm, I'm looking at the wrong article. Not the wrong article, but there's a, there's a couple of them, and I pasted the other one in the chat room. Did you see that, that sonar image that he had? No, but I'm hearing, you're talking some sonar devices way beyond our pocketbooks. Oh, oh, certainly. I mean, this is experimental. I was looking at this going, oh, my gosh. So uh, here, I'll, I'll paste this in the, the second link of the, of the two. Take a look at that one. And it's a multi-scanning. Ooh, and they have underwater footage. I did not see that. So now I'm going to have to play it. Video of the week. Oh, it's not the vi It could be. Maybe I'll have to post that one. Well, now I'm watching it. Here, I'll... Uh, We'll stall while you watch. You're gonna, have you guys seen this video already? No, I just opened up the site. Nice. Yeah, I turned my sound off. I've got a freaking commercial in front of it. See, I didn't get the commercial. Well, we may be looking at different ones. This one is underwater video shrimp. filmed from the Schmidt Ocean Institute. We need shrimp. Simple high-resolution imaging package. Hmm. They're showing video of this. 
At this point, it just looks like railing. Underwater video for search vessel Falcor. Yeah, from the pictures I'm looking at, too, that it looks interesting, but doesn't look like a well-preserved wreck. And that's the thing with the ocean. I mean, in Great Lakes, a vessel of this age would still be in fairly decent condition. But here in the ocean? Well, you got the cold water now. Well, I would think in Antarctic you'd have some cold water. Yeah, the pictures I'm looking at aren't that impressive. No, the the video's going like an endless loop back and forth at the same spot, bouncing up and down. You could think, think, okay, now they're moving across the ship. This is about a minute, uh, two minutes in on a three and a half minute video, and you can see some uh, uh, debris field. I'm looking at their drop cameras. They're on like a 12 by 12 I-beam. Anybody find the depth yet? Oh, for this one? I'm going to guess it's fairly deep. Oh, they have a second camera. Oh, gosh, I, I, we won't torture everybody by going through all this, but I may have to post some of these. So, But just the gear, what really what got me that we wanted to cover this one was just the computer visualization. So that might not be live data that they see. That might be taking the data that they received and then 3D mapping it. So it does rise out of the water quite a bit. And I found another picture. I'm looking at that real quick, or video. Uh, it was, let me see, it's Schmidt Oceaneering. And it's got one. I mean, you can look at it with the. Whoa, thought it came up. Even from this one, though, I'm just seeing a lot of plankton, a lot of algae bloom. And that's. I don't know what that is he's looking at. It's got to be pretty darn deep. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. It just feels. You see the crabs and stuff on it? They're really weird looking. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, it, it, I'd love to know how deep it is, but that's got to be. Like deep, deep, you know, not because it, it's dark. Yeah. So, and and it doesn't look like they sent down an ROV. It looks like more that they've got a camera on a pole, doesn't it, or a cable? Yes, it is. It's, it's a drop. Yeah. So, so that must mean. I mean, it's that without a really high end device like an Alvin, you know, they're just dropping something down and and taking a shot. Yeah, they're looking at debris on the deck. I just found another one of it. Their second camera shot. And all that debris you're seeing is part of material laying on the hull of the ship. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There is a lot of wreckage there now. I'm looking at it. That's pretty decent. But I still don't have a reference to how deep that is, which is aggravated. Of course, the people in the chat room are going crazy because they can't see the pictures of us. No, actually, uh, it got started that uh, Chris wanted uh, the video to max wreck. And then everybody's going on. And I, I sent him the link. So uh, it's, I guess it's a good time to segue into the video of the week, uh, the video this week, and I'm going to paste it in the chat room, is of a wheelchair diving through the water. It's called freewheeling, creating a spectacle, and an absolutely amazing video. All right, I see it. Does that have audio? Uh, there's a little music being played, but there's no real audio. Okay, I but, just cut uh, the audio off. Yeah, so what it was is, uh, and it's probably uh, a disabled diver, uh, she she had came she for some, she learned how to scuba dive and she came up with this idea that she wanted to scuba dive in the wheelchair partially as an art project and everybody told her it was going to be impossible to do that the wheelchair would just spin in place and wouldn't do anything so with some well, engineering neat. she's got that like a clear wing on it yes and then you got the thrusters under the seat and she's using her hands to do the left and the right or to make her move a little bit. Exactly. And then That's if you sweet, isn't it? Yeah, and she's got the two propellers kind of in the bottom, so it looks like some DPV vehicles. And yeah. she's got the tanks in the back. And I yes, look at this and even as a a body diver, that could be cool. Well, I bet they had to trim that really good. Mm-hmm. Well they they, they looks like they spent some time on getting it to where it would uh you know, where she could get it just planed exactly right and just that clear shield. Whoever did that did an amazing job on putting yeah. that together. Because there's spots. And couldn't see that shield. I thought there was a bunch of BS. But when you look at it close up, that's awesome. Yeah, very well done. Uh, and it's about creating uh, some publicity. They're, they've got an event coming up uh, in a pool, and they're trying to sell tickets. So it's a great way of getting some eyeballs on it. Uh, we've got a link in the show notes that will take you to the new Scuba Obsessed video dive site. Uh, which I'm about halfway done with, so it's ready. Uh, we'll start doing some promotions. I'm happy with. I, I'm, I'm probably on about my third version of the new website already, 
and I'm adding about one to two dive videos a day to it. So the I'm wondering how she gets her trim all the time. You see that distance? She's keeping a real good depth. Even whoops, except there, she just ran over something. Coral. <laughs> but yeah, she, she she's got a good technique. Uh, if you notice, she is turning on and off the thrusters. So I don't know if that's something. I mean, I I'm imagining that she doesn't have control of her feet. Yeah, because I can't figure out how she's doing it because I haven't seen her do any trim. Well, could and it be? She, uh, could she have controllers in her hands that we're just not seeing? I don't see them. Yeah, I was yeah. wondering about that. Or uh, maybe it's something where she can lean one way or the other and it does something. That's still really something else. Really it, it, amazing. So uh, that's our that's our video of the week, and we I've put up uh, probably a, quite a few. Some of them are videos that we've had out before that we got got up. Uh, one of them we had uh, Lisa, I noticed, posted on the, the uh, Great Lakes Wrecking Crew website, and it was a, one on cave diving. Uh, it's a video that every diver must watch, but a deceptively easy way to die is what it's talking about, cave diving and staying away from caves if you don't have proper training. So a video definitely worth watching. So there's quite a few there. We've probably got about 20 videos posted up. We'll keep adding a couple a day. I added a link to suggest a video so you can click on that suggest a video, send us a link uh, through that way, or you can also email us at the show at scubaobsessed.com, and uh, we'll get uh, we'll look at the video, and if it makes the criteria, we'll get it posted up there. Also, as far as uh, there's a rating system on the dive video site, so if uh, our fans could go out there and pick a video that doesn't have any rating, watch the video, and then rate it. That would be awesome as well. I'd like to get some ratings so people get an idea of which ones are worth it and which ones aren't. Uh, some improvements we're going to do are going to update the menuing system. I'm not real happy with it. I want to have more categories. The search I may update. It's hard to test it right now with so few videos. I've got quite a bit of tags. I've got like a tag cloud uh, that may get updated. And then just some little structure changes. But other than that, it's uh, coming along better than I thought. Oh, and then I got to change some some colors, some of the plugins that I'm using don't really like the dark background, so some of the text is lost, but it's coming along, and it's uh, kind of been fun doing it. I've wanted to have an area where I could go back and find videos that I thought were great before. I'm sorry, what was that, Jim? Sorry. Oh, no problem. Okay, well, that finishes off our news for this week. So, did anybody get any diving in this last week? Are we skunked two weeks in a row? Other than the shower, that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, my my wetsuit hanging in the scuba tree got rained on, so it didn't it didn't quite dry out. Uh, no, I did not get wet. Yeah, I didn't either. This is this is I think a record for all of us all at the same time. For me. Yeah, the, Mac, what's the, what's the longest you've been dry? This is three weeks. I can't stand it. Yeah, I don't I don't <laughs> I don't I don't ever remember hearing a time where. Now, can't you now if you dive jump out of an airplane, doesn't that stretch your spine and make it better? You haven't been able to work that uh, one out. Been thinking about that. <laughs> My only problem is, what if it makes it worse? <laughs> I know. I yeah, you know, back pain. There's just it's like you you don't you know you don't want to do anything to make it any worse. So yeah, none of us got really any diving, and I know Rich on Diver Sink's been diving the heck out of it. So he's had some amazing dives and some video. I need to have him uh, send me links to all his videos or be able to find them. Uh, he's got that uh, Dunnenberg that we posted last week we got in there. So, But we're coming up on a three-day weekend, so I am certain I'm going to get some diving in. We have Dave coming into town with a couple other divers. Uh, I've been bugging Jim Kleeman, trying to see if he's going to be getting out. So, uh, Jim, do you have any finalizing on the, the site plan for what dives will be happening this weekend? Well, we've, as you said, we've got Dave and company coming in Saturday, Sunday. So I hope to take them over to uh, the Havana on Saturday, dip them in about 42 feet, and let them see a pretty well spread out rubble wreck, but it's contiguous. I mean, it's not there, there's pieces there where basically the centerboard and the keel, and then it peeled off to the sides and shifted a little bit, so we can get him out on that one. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday, we'll run on over to Max Wreck, and that ought to be very interesting Sunday. I think we're going to have lots of company passing us by because that's right in the middle of the tri-state race, uh, and the boats will be should be right on line between uh, St. Joe and Michigan City. So we ought to have uh, some surface interval entertainment. 
Oh, that'd be nice. And then uh, hopefully, if I can get these guys, both of their sites on Saturday, we're going to turn them free to hit the river or whatever they want. I'm sorry, both of these sites, Saturday and Sunday, we'll turn them free to hit the river on Monday. And I got uh, Big Stig and maybe a couple other people coming over to take a dive, and we'll see where they want to go, whether they want to go up to the Havana or down the Max Rec. Oh, amazing. So there's actually more to see on the Havana than there is on Max Rec. Uh, but I was amazed. I posted on Facebook this week, uh, the water temps have plummeted. Uh, we're looking at temps in the mid-40s on the bottom right now, uh, unless tomorrow's gale force winds stirs it up again. So, you know, I'm hoping that we don't get the wind that they're predicting and it'll still today, the lake won't turn over and we'll have some decent visibility for everybody this weekend. Yeah, that would be nice. I'm just a boat driver. I don't control the weather. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 you, you can't put in for, for nice weather as much as we'd like. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. We, we have some rain coming in Saturday and Sunday, some potential. So hopefully it doesn't get to be too heavy for the holiday weekend, not only for barbecuing and campfires, but also that could make the river diving on Monday not as good as it could be. But uh, one way or another, we're we're definitely going to get wet this weekend. I have no doubt about it. And then, Mac, are you going to head up to Sheboygan, or are you going to sit it out? No, I am unable to do that. It'll be the first time in 30-odd years I haven't been up there. Oh, well, you got to get better, so. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, my thought on Max Rec, if you, you know, if you had to decide between Max Rec and Havana, if you're not being escorted on Havana, it will take you two to three dives to see everything. Not because there's that much there, but because it'll take you a while to find everything. Because it is, it is a, a it's a rubble wreck that's been splayed out. Uh, now, isn't there some cable on Havana, or am I thinking the Rockaway? Nope, the cable is there. It's uncovered this year. Yeah, I, th- I thought I saw it. So the, there's some cable. Uh, you can see some. There's some, uh, and I would call them deck boards, where you can kind of see underneath them. So if you got a nice dive light, you can poke down in there, and, and you'll see some fish that are hanging around. Uh, Max Rec, what's unique about that is going to be the dead eyes, the anchor, uh, the windlass. So they are definitely, you see two different things on those two different wrecks, but... Yeah, they, one of the neat things about Max Rec is, you, as you said, you've got the windlass, uh, you've got the anchor, you've got two different styles of dead eye. Uh, one's a true dead eye with the three separate holes, you know, that looks like two eyes and a mouth. And then the other piece is called a heart, which is one big hole with three grooves in it for the line. And so, you know, you could... Get good. Hopefully, we'll get some good photos of those and be able to show people the differences between a dead eye and a heart. So now you can talk like an experienced sailor. Now, do any modern ships, other than like the Friends Goodwill, have dead eyes or hearts anymore? Or that pretty much gone the way of the wooden sailing vessels? For the most part, it's gone the way. They they replaced them with you know pulleys and sheaves and uh, other ways of tensioning the rig. But that's what the dead eyes were for was to up the rig and keep the mast straight. Mm-hmm. So, but the, I'm trying to remember if there's been any other wrecks where I've seen a dead eye on other than Max Wreck. There's one on the Havana. I hope to get a good location, a measured location on that, so we can document that also for the preserve. Yeah, because it, it seems like I had seen one, and maybe that's it. Comes and goes. Comes, yeah. Comes and goes with the sand shifting. Yeah, and I think that's what it was. I think I think that might be visible this year. Was it this year or last year? I don't think I've been on Havana this year, actually, now that you mention it. I think that's one of the wrecks I haven't haven't had a chance yet. So, yeah, we got some uh, good good diving, nice holiday weekend. We'll have some fun, get that, show everybody what it's about. So you got anything else to pitch? I think I put a little note in there about the Wolf Flea Market that's coming up in September. Did you get that also? Yes, uh, September the 8th, Wolf's Dive Shop in Benton Harbor or Wolf's Marina is having a flea market slash open house. So if you want a table or you want to sell or buy something, come on out. There will be a number of vendors there. And I'm not sure, but I think um, there's going to be a lot of used scuba gear there this year. I I know I was bugging them. I was in the shop probably about a week or so ago. 
and I was bugging them about you needed to move some of that inventory, which I think they realized that they need to do it too because some of it's been sitting there quite a while. Uh, and at the time he mentioned that they were uh, selling some of their old stuff. Now, some of the dry suits they had, to me, looked scary. They had uh, you said a real inexpensive dry suit, but they said that they wear out between the legs. <laughs> well, then it becomes a semi-dry. <laughs> yeah. Well, you get a can of that dippet that you put your uh, tools in to make a covering, uh-huh. and you just paint the whole crotch area. There you go. Hey, we, we, you know, if if it's material, you can glue a patch on it. I guess that's true, but they've got quite a bit that they're they've got that they can move. Let's see anything else coming up with the preserve. Uh, we've got the trash and treasure dive at Moby's in Grand Rapids on September the 29th. Uh, that'll be a fundraiser for the preserve. Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell everybody. Anybody who comes out and dives macro with me has to join the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve. So bring your checkbooks or some cash and. You know, it's only $15 to join the preserve and support the preserve, but uh, uh, to take you out to to the RIC, we're making it available to preserve members this year and hope to open it up more to the general public later on after we get uh, some more money to fund the archaeology work on it. Excellent. Okay. I think that does it. That covers what I had for the show notes. Uh, make sure that and when we talk about uh, the show notes, you can go to scubaobsessed.com, and that's the primary post. Are all show notes on every episode we've done? We're at up to 128 plus some supplemental episodes. It's probably about 150 altogether. Um, also, this dive video site, uh, you can go and find a link to it there. That's divevideos.scubaobsessed.com, and we also have our Facebook page. Facebook forward slash scuba obsessed and you can follow us on the twitter at scuba obsessed and then the mud club uh, mac has there been anybody doing any mud club dives it seems like the site slowed down i think there's one or two pictures there that need to be filled in and uh i haven't been diving and i haven't got anything else from anybody so i have not updated it for a while yeah so there's the, you get the photos from the weekend yeah we had a steak fry and picnic last weekend and Oh, that's right. Didn't so get that... any diving. Didn't get any diving in, but we did have the picnic. So how'd that go? It was interesting, wasn't it, Mac? Well, we had really good shade, nice breezes. We had our own tables. Uh, actually, that's not a bad idea for next time for everybody. And actually, dive the river. A bunch of us couldn't this time because of injuries or surgeries. But uh, you know, because we had plenty of bathrooms. Well, what I'm wondering is if is, is well, there's a few good things about it. One, it's visible, so you're going to have a lot of activity of people wondering what the heck's going on. If we want to do it as a drift dive, so get somebody to go and drop divers up upstream, and then there's a nice boat ramp where everybody could kind of crawl up out of. Absolutely, that would be a very good thing to do there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe what we now, do is we, we just find a just find a big field now near there and have a couple skydivers come in. There you go. Well, what I was thinking is that we paint numbers onto the scuba divers, and then you kind of do it as a uh, you know a fundraiser, like a duck race. You have a diver race. You know, people could buy diver numbers, and we just don't. I think I'd lose that because I'd go squirrel and I'd be looking at something <laughs> underwater, and you guys would go buy me. Or actually, maybe they do it like a horse race, where you like you bet on who comes up with the most the the most valuable stuff. Do it like almost like an a an ecology dive type of point uh, system. Only if we can, you know, we we kind of spread the numbers out along the path where we all trade numbers once we get in the water, and nobody knows who's going to have what number till we surface. Ah, oh. we need a dumpster dumpster too. Oh, certainly we would have to have a dumpster. I, I like that idea. Uh, plus, it's it's local. I mean, I like Gull Lake, but. That's such a, a haul up there, and I think I'd get better support from the family to come to one of these events if I didn't have to drag them an hour out of the way. So that'll be a good idea to uh, bring up the next Mud Club meeting. Okay, well, I think we're getting to that time of the show, aren't we? Yes, sir. Okay, well, we're we're in the primary political season, so I've been letting this one uh, age a little bit, and I, I think it's at the proper level of stinkage. So here we go. A busload of politicians were driving down a country road when the bus suddenly runs off the road, crashed into an old farmer's field. The old farmer heard of the tragic accident, so he rushed over to investigate. He then began digging a very large grave to dig the pol- to bury the politicians. A few hours later, the local sheriff was 
Driving past the farmer's field, noticed a bus wreck. He approached the old farmer and asked where all the politicians had gone. The old farmer explained that he'd gone ahead and buried all of them. Were they all dead? asked the puzzled sheriff. Well, some said they weren't, said the old farmer. But you know how politicians lie. If their lips are moving. <laughs> and just think, with all that BS put in the ground, he's probably going to have a very fertile field there. Yeah, he'd probably grow stuff forever. Plus, you could probably put, you need to put like a tent over it, all that hot air rising. Yeah, he'd probably get nothing but crabgrass out there. <laughs> crabgrass. <laughs> oh, okay. So until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And remember, no giant concrete horseshoe crabs were harmed in the making of tonight's show. Call recording has been completed.